0: So you've all given some thoughts on um, what you'd like to hear about tonight and what you're working on. I, myself, am coming off of a a very long and crazy week um, of teaching and doing stuff like this. I was, I don't even know if it was yesterday. It was yesterday? I was in a middle school school. And so I spent the whole morning, there was four back-to-back classes kind of teaching kids. And then the next class would come and i teach them the next. So I was like, really gave a lot. And then that night I also went and taught meditation in Haverhill uh, to a group. Um, I'm leading a retreat next week with horses. So it's like a mindfulness and horses retreat. So I was at the horse farm this morning and I was learning about horses and working with this guy. His name is Cowboy, so go figure, right? He's from uh, western Tennessee. And, uh, yeah, he gave me, you know, the horse's rein. It was my kind of first time really leading this horse. And he said, yeah, I kind of lead it around the pen in a, this kind of very big arena. So I start leading it around, and then he comes up behind me with these two plastic, like, discs. And he just starts clapping them. And it starts spooking the horse, and the horse starts pulling. And I don't know what's going on. The horse is huge. And I'm, you know, and then he kind of takes the horse from me. And then he tells me to clap it, and then he kind of shows me what to do. And so he kind of just threw me in the deep end with this big animal. Um, and I go to a friend's wedding tomorrow so that's a six hour drive into New York and we leave at seven so I'm not going to like sleep much. So it's like this whole kind of pressure cooker that I find myself in right now. And I was pulling up tonight to this class and I was like this is like probably the most tired, like exhausted I think is the word, maybe like, the most exhausted that I remember myself being coming to start teaching a class. Right? So I was like okay that's going to be interesting like, how to do that. Um, I remember this teacher, Jack Cornfield. He's in Barrie, Massachusetts. He started the Insight Meditation Society, IMS, with Joseph Goldstein and Sharon Salzberg back, I think, in like the late '60s, maybe '70s. Um, and he had been teaching a lot of retreats, and he'd been doing a lot of work. And he was starting to feel kind of like run down. He was saying that he was starting to feel kind of like, uh, like frustrated, and even like bitter. Towards, like the retreatants for kind of asking all these questions and he was saying he like, was just kind of getting like irritated he had like thin skin suddenly and so there was a Tibetan teacher I think it I don't know if it was Kalu Rinpoche but it was kind of a Tibetan teacher that was visiting or maybe yeah and um, and he went and he had like a little private audience you know he said hi introduced himself and what he did and he said you know I, I I'm leading retreats and I'm doing all this this work this good you know Dharma teaching, it's a meditative work. And um and I find myself getting like frustrated and irritated. And you know, maybe you can teach me some practices to, I don't know what, maybe help my energy rise, or maybe teach me more love towards these people or something, or give me some motivation to kind of teach with more power, you know, whatever it would be. And um and then he said that, and then the Tibetan monkey, you know, asked him a couple questions. He just said, oh, okay, and, you know, how much do you meditate a day? And, okay, and how are you keeping the precepts and things like this? And then kind of sat and he thought, and then the Tibetan teacher kind of looks at him and goes, okay, I think I have the solution for you. You know, and Jack Kornfield's feels like, okay, I'm ready. The Tibetan teacher's like, I think you need to teach less and take longer vacations. Yeah. And Jack Kornfield's feels like, okay, thank you. <laughs> you know, that was it. Because... Often when we talk about meditation and we talk about the spiritual life, right? And I used to be a monk, right? I used to be a Buddhist monk. I was a Buddhist monk for many years, so when you look at monks and stuff, we have this whole kind of ideal, this whole image of like the spiritual life means that you're always friendly and you're always happy and you're never angry and you're never irritated, never have problems, everything's okay, you know. um, We have these kind of lofty ideals that we think that's, we're trying to get to this other place that's up there. Um, And yet we keep finding ourselves down here, but we want to be up there, you know. And a lot of the best teachers that you're going to find are the ones that will go to you and say to you, it's not, you, you want them to give you advice on how to get up there, but usually they just slap you around a little bit and say, let go of that. You're here. Be here. Be in this body. Be in this life. Be in this family, be in this situation, in the school, yeah, whatever it is that you're doing, whatever it is that you're facing, face it, be with it. don't find ways to try to escape it. Find ways to really be with it. If you're angry, be angry, feel your anger. What is this anger trying to say to me? What's going on? Try to understand it for really like stressed, right. What is the stress right? We have school, what is that stress about school? Am I afraid of something? Am I afraid I'm going to fail? Am I afraid my mom's going to get mad at me? Am I afraid I'm going to not get into college and everything's going to fall apart? Do I just want to really be the best I can be? What is the stress? What is it that's pushing me? I um, I was teaching meditation to a group of middle school boys um, last year. And one of the mothers, she I met her today. Actually, I got a parking ticket last week in Andover. I parked somewhere and then I moved my car after like an hour and then the cop came by and he didn't know that I moved my car so he gave me a ticket thinking I was in the same spot and so she like wrote a letter, like you know because she was there with me like oh I saw it no it's true like he did move his car whatever. so I met her and she gave me this letter and then I talked to her and her son was in this class the middle school class that I taught yesterday so I kind of said oh yeah actually I taught his class and, um, and she said to me yeah you know he he has he's He's really shy. He has like a lot of social problems in school and that's really hard. And I said, oh, hard for who? And she goes, yeah, well, it's, you know, it's hard for him and it's hard for me. And I said, oh, why is it hard for you? And she said, yeah, because, you know, he's, he has all these problems in school. He's really shy. And I said, oh, why is that hard for you? And she said, "Well, because it's it's really difficult for him, you know. It's having a really difficult time." And I said, "Oh, why is that hard for you?" And she said, "Well, you know, he's he's uh, you know he's really unhappy. He's he's sad. It's it's hard for him." And I said, "Oh, okay. Why is that hard for you?" And she said, "Well, because he comes home and he cries." And I said, "Oh, he cries. Okay. Why is that hard for you?" And she said, "Well, because you know I." I just really, I want him to feel comfortable in his own skin. And I said, oh, so you want him to be different than he is. So you want him to accept himself, and he doesn't accept himself. So actually, you're saying to him, be different than you are. Don't be shy. And she's like, well, you know, and she's like, well, and I was like, no, that's just, that's what you just told me that what you think is love, what you're, I love him so I want him to be happy, but you're actually putting an emotional pressure on him to be different than he is. Why don't you accept his shyness? Why don't you accept that he's having a hard time? Why don't you allow that? Because he feels that emotional pressure from you and now he feels that my suffering, my shyness is causing pain in my mom. So my problems are even now hurting my mom. I'm so bad that I'm even hurting her. And that's just like this downward spiral. And I said, if you really want to help him, take that weight off of him. Let him be however he is. If he's shy, let him be shy. You can be there for him. You can love him. You can support him. Don't make his suffering into your suffering. Leave his suffering with him. Because if you make his suffering into your suffering, he has no space to change if he wants to. Because all he feels is the pressure that you're putting on him emotionally. Because you want him to be different than he is. And this is a really, really subtle thing. Like, uh, as you heard, it took me a bunch of questioning, right, to get down, 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 down to this point. But it really came down to this point that for her as a mother, right, if her son is suffering, she feels suffering. But she wasn't seeing clearly that to get rid of that suffering she feels she wanted her son to be better so that she would feel okay about the situation instead of dealing with her own suffering as her own suffering. And then she could help her son in a very different way. And there's really something to be said about the fact that we often try to change things. We're control freaks, yeah? We are control freaks. We want things to be different than they are this is one of the biggest things I learned when I was at the monastery. So I was at this Vietnamese monastery. We would sit, we would meditate in the morning um, and there'd be, you know, the community we had, so uh, you know, 10,000 Vietnamese community members in the, you know, I was in Germany, so in like the, you know, in the area, in the Frankfurt area that would kind of come and go at different times and so you know, there'd be times we were sitting there and, you know, we'd be meditating there'd be, you know, 30 monks monks and nuns, and the Vietnamese, somebody would come in to the meditation hall. They'd see us all sitting there, you know. And over by the altar, there's, the, there's an ancestral altar too, so for the Chinese, Vietnamese, so they, they have a whole altar for the ancestors. And they'd go over, and there's, on that altar, uh, it's like a fortune teller, right? It's like an oracle, it's called. And what that oracle is, it's a coffee can filled with popsicle sticks. And the popsicle sticks have numbers written on them. And those numbers correspond to, like, little leaflets. So what you do is you take it and you shake it. You shake it so this popsicle sticks in a tin can, this big tin can. You shake it until one of the sticks kind of rises to the top and falls out. You know, and then there are these two little shells and you flip the shells and you ask, is this, you know, and if one is upright and one is down, then that's like a yes. You're like, okay, that's my card. And if not, and if it's a no, if they're both up or down, you have to put the stick in and then do it again until another one falls out. And then if it's, like, the right number, then you pick the card and that's, like, your fortune for the year or whatever. That's their system. So we'd be sitting there with, you know, 20, 30 monks and nuns. And somebody would come in and they would just sit, like, where you are, like, right about 20 feet to my side, pick up this big tin can and start shaking it. And I would just kind of turn over and I would just, like, are you serious, you know? And i sometimes have to walk over and put my hand on them and be like, excuse me, like, you you know. And I wouldn't talk, and the other monks and nuns, they're sitting, right? It's not like there's much space there. That somehow in their mind, they just, I don't know, they think maybe like a monk meditates like a Buddha statue, so nothing can disturb them. Or they're just oblivious. They don't even realize. They don't even realize. Because a lot of Asian cultures, they have a different relationship to noise. So when I go to India, things like noise, things like personal space, they don't really exist in India. There's not... They don't have a concept for silence because everything is just noisy all the time. there's not they don't get it you know it doesn't make sense to them really So I started kind of getting this and one day I said to my teacher I asked him you know can we lock the door and we meditate or can we put up a sign or what and he kind of said it wouldn't help people would they'd, the commun- they'd still come in they'd still do their thing and I kind of started getting angry and I was like well you should do this or this and he kind of just looked at me and smiled and you know, and he just kind of turned it back on me and he, he pretty much said something along the lines of, you know, this is your problem. This isn't their problem, this is your problem. You know, and it took me a while to kind of understand what that meant. Um, but actually, one of my other teachers, Achan Brahm, he actually was saying something similar, that he was in the monastery and they were doing construction and he said to his teacher something similar, like can we tell them to shut up while we're meditating and they can start again later. And his teacher, Achan Chai, he said, well, I just have a question for you. He said, is the noise bothering you or are you bothering the noise? He's like, what's the actual problem? Is it that the noise is disrupting you or are you disrupting the noise? Because when you start to look more closely at the world, the world is going to go about its business. Whether that's our thoughts and our feelings, whether that's the gurgling in our stomach and our The pains in our body, whether that's the other people in the room, whether that's the cars and planes and things outside, the world is going about its business inside of us and around us. And oftentimes when one embarks on a spiritual practice, when one wants to calm down, wants to relax, the first thing they actually try to do is they try to control everything around them. If everybody else can just shut up, I can have my peace. If everything else around me does what I want, then I'll be okay, then I'll be happy. Yeah, and it takes a while. It's like a big kind of ego thing, and it takes a while to start to see. No, 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 that's that's the same mind that got you into this mess in the first place. Is that everybody's going around the world thinking if I can just change things the way that I want them, then I'll be happy? This is really a problem when you see relationships because you have two partners that are keep trying to change each other to be happy. You know, not realizing it doesn't work that way. So. One of the really important lessons that we start to learn in this practice is the practice of acceptance, the practice of forbearance, allowing things to be, realizing that your peace and your happiness are not as dependent on everything around you working the way that they need to as you'd think. Because the reality is, it'll never really happen. You know. And I'll tell you, I was in the monastery for eight years, and in the monastery, there was also problems. There was also stress. there's lots of stuff going on. It's not like everyone's there peaceful floating on clouds and you come, you know. It's the same. People are people wherever you go. And there's problems here and there's problems there. And, you know, I think, what was it just today? I think maybe Trump went out of the the climate agreements, right? The Paris Agreement. So now there's like all these problems and all these protesters at the White House. And, you know, things are going to keep going on like this forever. There's not going to be that one day where there's world peace. There's not going to be that day where everything's okay, everyone's doing the right thing, everyone cares for each other, and everything's fine. And then we can relax and think, oh, this, you know, that's just not the reality. The reality is, is that stuff happens. For the rest of our life, stuff is going to be happening. So the question is, how do you want to respond to that? How much do you want the world to hold stake in your mind, in your sense of well-being? So I know, like, when you're in school, right? In school, it's very stressful, right? It's this big thing, and you have, like, the tests, and there's things coming up, and finals, and colleges, and, you know. How old are you? Fourteen. Fourteen, years. So now I heard kindergartners are getting stressed because they have the MCAS, right? I heard that kindergartners, because they have MCAS in a couple years, they're getting stressed, right? So it's getting younger and younger, right? 14 years old, you have stress. School makes you think that it's like super important and then you get out of school and you realize school has nothing to do with life. Yeah, I can tell you from experience. Yeah, you get out of school and you realize that had nothing to do with anything. Yeah, that we learn some stuff, you kind of learn to be structured a little bit. A lot of the most successful people out there right now didn't go to college. They just started a company and made millions of dollars. They just did their own thing. That a lot of the things they teach you in school are not actually the things that one needs to be successful anymore. School teaches you how to process information, be disciplined, be diligent. But actually now to make money, people need to be able to think creatively, think laterally, lead teams, be inventive. The the non-conforming people are the ones now that are starting to rise to the top, right? So when you really look at school objectively, it's like, okay, I'm in this thing, and there's this very clear bar that says, you know, if I study, if I put in a lot of work, if I do this, then I'll get an A, and I'll get another A, and then I'll get good on SATs, right? And then I'll get into a good school, and then because I'm in a good school, I'll get a good job, and then because I get a good job, I'll be happy, yeah? That is a lie. That timeline is a lie. Yeah, there's a lot of people, I teach also at MIT, yeah, so I can say just from experience as well, that I teach the cream of the crop, right? So MIT, that's like the top kids from the world, the kids that did the best, that all perfect scores on SATs, all perfect grades. At this one school, I go to that school, a lot of kids are committing suicide, a lot of kids are on drugs, medication, a lot of kids are depressed, a lot of kids are dropping out. Because they're breaking emotionally or they're saying, you know what, actually I've realized that I don't really want to do this. This doesn't actually speak to me. Yeah. So, school and life both. So, for instance, today I just paid my rent. Yeah, so I just went and I paid my rent today. And, you know, for like the way that I live my life, each month I'm like, ooh, like there's rent. Am I going to pay my rent or not? Like, is it going to work or You know, it's kind of like, oh, okay, let's see. Right? And it's like a never-ending thing. It's not like, if we get this thing, if we get good grades, if we get a good job, if we get a good relationship, then I'll be happy. Then there'll be no more problems, you know. That's not real. I'm sure everyone here can agree to this, that even when you get the things that you're supposed to get, it still it keeps going. It doesn't actually end. One monk from Thich Nhat Hanh Sangha, if anyone knows so Thich Nhat Hanh, he's a Vietnamese Zen master, Prolific author, Martin Luther King Jr., no, nominated him for Nobel Peace Prize, actually. So if you can imagine, somebody that Martin Luther King Jr. would say should get the Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. So this really amazing monk, and he has a large community of monks and nuns, and some of them came over to our monastery. And, and I was, you know, with one of them, and I was working, and I was like, oh, you know, and he said, oh, like, he kind of looks at me with this big smile, and he's like, so how are you today, you know? And I said, "Oh, I'm I'm very busy." He's like, "Oh, enjoy." And he just kind of stared at me and smiled. Like, "Oh, enjoy." And I said, uh, "Well, I, I'll en- I'll enjoy like later, but first I have to finish. You know, I have to I have to finish mopping. And I have to go upstairs and I have to do something on the computer and I have to do like a couple things. You know, and then I'll, I'll enjoy later." And he just looks at me and he's like, "No," he said, "the work never ends." He said, there is no end. So enjoy. Yeah? And it really kind of stuck to me because I, I realized that he's right. That there was something in me that felt, oh, when I finish this, then I can relax. When then? If then? The if then attitude waiting in the future for the reward. If then? When then? And he's like, no. Your life is going to forever be a series of the next thing that you have to do and you'll get a respite from that maybe at night when you just crash from exhaustion and you wake up the next day and you keep doing the next things you're supposed to be doing that you need to be doing to keep everything afloat and that's the reality of life is that there's things you have to do and and of course we can we can be in control a little bit of how much is on our plates so i was just meeting with a ceo in boston today and he was saying that his goal is to to positively influence the lives of a hundred million people by the time he dies. That's his goal. And I said, well, that's a good goal. My goal is just to be happy. I said, you know, if I get enough money to pay rent and get groceries and maybe travel a little bit, that's all that I need. You know, reaching a hundred million people sounds pretty awesome, but then you're gonna maybe just see the people that you're helping as numbers on your checklist and not necessarily actually see the people in front of you anymore. In fact you need those people to reach your goals. It's not even about them anymore, it's about you. But on top of that it doesn't, I don't feel any like emotional like do you care about those people, you know? And we often, um, we don't realize that we are creating our own framework for success what it means to be successful. We think I'm successful if I do well in school, if I let go of my anger, if I connect to the divine, if I feel like love and connection. If We have these ideas, if I'm confident, we have these ideas of what success means. And we hold this bar to ourselves, and we're always trying to get up over this bar. And usually that bar is connected to some kind of deficit we have, right? Because if there's something that you can easily do, it's not a big deal, right? But if you, if you have social anxiety disorder, if you're depressed, if you're, if you're upset, if, there's, if you're just not quite making it, you have this bar above your head and you're trying to get up over that bar. You think that the answer is when I get over that bar, then that's it, that's the answer. That's when I want to be, not stressed. I want to be up there. You know, But what's kind of missing in that whole situation is, well, why, whose bar is that? That bar is not. God didn't come and drop that bar down in front of you and say, "That's the bar you have to cross." Yeah. There's not uh, not a, a stadium full of people watching you try to jump over that bar like a like a high jumper at the Olympics, right? That bar is being held up by you. You are holding that bar over your own head, and you're the one that wants to jump over it, and you can't, and you beat yourself up over that, or you think something's wrong with you. And when I look on Facebook, everyone else is able to jump over that bar. Everyone else seems to be doing okay. Why can't I get over that bar? Yeah? But the truth is that bar, that you're, you're holding that. You're in control of that. So what if instead of thinking, what, when I do that then, if then, why not just say, like, it's already okay? So I'm stressed. So I'm angry. So I feel disconnected. So... So I don't know what to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm tense. I have a lot of stress in my life. I'm angry. I'm a control freak. Why not just say to yourself, "Okay, that's then. That's fine. So it is. So I am. So what? Yeah. So what? Okay, then that's me. So I guess I'm I'm unlovable and unacceptable, and a failure and a horrible person and I'm weak and I'll never make it and now i can finally like relax and like just you know just chill out yeah because there's nothing wrong with any of us and this is really important to know that there's nothing wrong with any of you there's no there's nobody that i've seen in my life that's like there's something wrong with that person it's all like kind of stuff that we're doing to ourselves inside but like we're all just people trying to figure it out and all of us have our, our weird stuff. All of us have, have our weaknesses. All of us have our blindness. All of us have the things we're kind of working on and struggling with. And, trying. and everyone has their own themes that they're, that they're processing. And a lot of that's from childhood. A lot of that's from just the culture we live in, you know. But there's nothing wrong with us. If anything, we're all doing an amazing job. Because let's be honest, like, none of us signed up for life. You know, it's not like we were sitting up on, on a cloud in heaven and someone's like, oh, who wants to go down? And you're like, I'll go down. And you jump and you land in your body as a baby. And you're like, ah, okay, let's go, you know. Yeah. The, the reality, it's more something like we just kind of woke up one day and we're suddenly here. And we don't really know what this is or what we're supposed to do. And then we have all these people around us pushing us to, like, learn to walk and learn to talk and then learn to read and learn to ride a bike and then go do this and get a job and make money and pay taxes and get a family and have grandkids. And then we get old and then nobody cares about us anymore and then, whatever, and then they work in the next generation and then we just die and that was it. Yeah, that we're just appear in this thing called life and everyone around us is pushing us forward and then we start pushing ourselves forward because we think that's what we're supposed to do. And then maybe every now and then you look around and you're like, what the hell is going on? And then you die. Yeah, that's like life in, it's like a Monty Python skates somehow. It's like life in a nutshell. Right? It's a cosmic joke, right? It's a joke. What is this? Yeah, nobody knows. We all think we know. Everyone tells us that they know. Everybody tells us what we should be doing. Nobody has any idea. We don't know what this is about. That guy who wants to positively influence 100 million, what the hell is that even, what does that even mean? Why quantitative, you know, maybe, maybe you just feel happy and you smile at somebody and because you smile that person didn't kill themselves that afternoon and instead they wrote a book and that book changes the world. How, you never know. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, maybe you're going to stress out about a test and you're so stressed out that you don't sleep that night and then you, then you fail the test because you're so stressed, you know, right? We have no idea. We really have no idea. Yeah, we have no idea. Yeah? And again, I go to MIT and there are these kids, and then they they're overdosing on drugs at MIT, and it's like, this kid has been pushing himself, his family's pushing himself. Like everyone's like, wow, that kid, he made it. You know, he was the top of our school, he was the best in his family, he's the best in our in our town, some places he's the best in the country. And he comes here and he dies. And what was that all about then? For what? Yeah? So Because no one really knows what this is, what we're supposed to be doing, it really brings a lot more to start from the place of compassion, of kindness, of understanding, of really understanding ourselves and each other, understanding that we're all trying our best. Nobody has it all figured out. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to do stupid things because we're all learning. And also, it's never too late. Nobody's hopeless. Yeah. I'm sure we've all made huge mistakes in our life and yet we're still here. And a lot of the things we thought were huge mistakes actually turned out to be really great or even just big lessons. Yeah. But there's really nothing to do except just be kind. To really be kind and compassionate to yourself and to the situation you're in and also the same for other people. Because everybody's trying and nobody knows what's going on. And it's really important to know that nobody really knows what's going on. And it's unfortunate that we're in these systems that that there's like the school system and there's like the working system and there's this that like that like people are just sitting. I was I you know coming back from that meeting with that CEO. I was like sitting in traffic and just looking at all these people and like this is like the daily life of just millions of people is just sitting for hours in their little box car. Just waiting to get, and it's just like Jesus. Like, what are we doing to ourselves? Like, what is this? Why? Why is this what we've chosen for ourselves as life? Why is this what we've collectively created for ourselves? Yeah, we're doing this to ourselves. There's nobody, you know, and and we're you know, and it's it's standing on the shoulders of the previous generations, of course, right? Like I, you know, but at the same time, we're all continuing it together. We're all collectively, you know cranking the wheel forward. And so it's kind of like a personal duty. It's like our obligation to really look at ourselves and say, like, what is this? What am I doing? What do I want to be doing? What makes me happy? What doesn't make me happy? You know, and really start adjusting accordingly. And again, above all, being kind to ourselves, letting ourselves off the hook, not having these huge expectations for ourselves the whole time, not always trying to make ourselves different, Sometimes it's really more about accepting yourself, accepting where you're at. Really accepting where you're at, and then you can kind of slowly guide that in a direction if you want. Yeah, when I was leading the horse today, you can't just make the horse do whatever you want. That horse, when I clapped the thing and it freaked out, cowboy didn't just stop the horse. He would have to turn it really hard in a direction so that burst of fear, that energy would have a release that then the horse could relax. And he said to me, he's like, you know, I'm not trying to change these horses. You can't beat the personality out of a horse. He said, you see where the horse is at, and they're always going to be like they are a little bit. And then also it's like this relationship where you kind of make them workable. But at the same time, they're going to be who they are. And you have to accept that. And each one is different, and that's fine. You know, and it's the same with us. We're all very different, and we're all doing our best, and we're trying. You know, but life is hard enough as it is without us being hard on ourselves. Yeah? So instead of, like, trying to get something else, trying to connect to the divine, trying to control everything, trying to de-stress, trying to deal with anger, instead of, like, trying to do things, why not just kind of, okay, like, accept it, allow it, you know? Yeah, okay, I'm stressed. Yeah, I get it. School sucks. There's a lot of stuff to do. I don't have a lot of time. Yeah, and I'd rather be out with friends and doing other stuff. And there's like a lot more things that I find personally important than sitting and studying. And I'm in this thing and that's just how that situation is. Not, like, of course I feel stressed. You know, of course. That's, that, that constellation of things would produce stress in a human being. It makes sense. I'm sure all of your classmates are stressed as well. You know? Yeah, I don't know what happened to create the anger. I'm sure if anyone else was in your situation, they would feel angry too. Because if you bring these, if you put a flame to a piece of paper, that paper burns. If you put a person in that situation, they'll feel anger. Yeah, It's just about accepting it. It's really looking and accepting it and saying, okay. Giving it space, giving it understanding. And usually when we understand things, it kind of just dissolves all by itself. Because very often our only problem is that we're resisting how something is. Our only problem is that we want something to be different. We think something should be different than it is. And very often we'll even see that when we accept the situation, then will change by itself, which is the craziest part. This is what you learn in meditation. You're sitting and you're trying to get peaceful. You're trying to get peaceful. It's not happening. It's not happening. It's not happening. Then you give up. Okay, I'm hopeless. I can't meditate. I guess I'll just sit here. And then suddenly as you're just sitting there, you relax and you start to meditate. That very often it's when you stop pushing. You stop trying. You stop trying to control Often you get the thing that you wanted the whole time because you let go and you allowed yourself to receive it. You allowed it in. You allowed a change to come. You stopped banging your head against the wall for the wall to be gone. You instead just allowed it and then you went through the door instead.
1: doesn't bring always solution to what you need. Like, if I just allow that, okay, I don't... I don't really like my business anymore, and I don't really want to work it, but the reality is i got to find the good in it and continue working it. Otherwise...
0: The reality is that you need to make money doing something.
1: Yeah, and it's very scary. Like, what?
0: Yes, yes. it is very scary. Correct. Yeah. Correct.
1: So just to just accept, which is kind of where I'm coming into, but it's still I haven't found a solution. I've been stuck for four years. I mean, I finally am fighting less. I'm, I'm like...
0: <laughs> In this situation, the thing that you're supposed to be accepting is that you're not happy.
1: Yeah, I'm, but I, I, yeah, I don't accept that I'm not happy because if I accept that I'm not happy, it still doesn't fix it.
0: If you accept that you're not happy, first of all, you can drop the weight of fighting against yourself, which will free up a lot of internal space for you because you'll be connected to your feelings again. And sometimes when you really fully accept your feelings, things on the outside start to resonate inwards, that sometimes opportunities will appear. As long as you're pushing your feeling away, you're holding away any possibility of change. Of course it's scary. Everybody is afraid of change, especially big life changes, like job changes, like moving. It's scary. If you put any single human being in your situation, they would be afraid also. That's normal. It's normal. The unknown is scary. We don't know. But if you're not happy where you are, then what are you afraid of happening? You're already unhappy. What's the worst that could happen? You're, you're you going to still be <laughs> unhappy? Of
1: course. Yeah, and then not have money, then, then be, you know, the story's worthless, like failed, let the business go, the whole night.
0: So you'd rather be happy for four, unhappy for four more years than feel for a moment worthless, which is a pretty arbitrary feeling anyway. What does worthless even mean? Because that business didn't work, you're worthless? Maybe that's just not the right business. What does that success of that business have to do with you as your worth? Nothing, nothing. Your worth is independent of the success or failure of projects.
1: I'm starting to learn that now, but all my life I was associated doing, being worth right. I had to do to be worth, to Yeah. be valuable.
0: Yeah. This comes from your parents.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I realized I can't fight the world and the waves of life, so I've started to go, okay, I need help on how I can go along with those waves and not get so, instead of Fighting, I can't fight it anymore. Right. I can't. I can't isolate myself from people. People are going to be people that was going to hurt me or trigger me or whatever, and uh, me the same way. So I want to learn the skills on how to go along with life and enjoy it. You know, like enjoy people and enjoy life, and not um, and be okay with the changes because I realize that the um, people who are not. Who uh, people will perish because of if they're too you know and that's this is this is what I know and this is my safety and the people who go with the flow are the ones who grow and they're happy and evolve and that's where yeah. I finally want to be that whatever comes at me I can accept it and
0: I would I would say to you to thine own self be true yeah. yeah. If you're unhappy, be true to that. Be true to yourself. Be true to it. And if you're afraid, be true to that. And then say, okay, I'm unhappy, I want to change, but I'm afraid because I need to survive and make money. So, I'm gonna start figuring out a way out of the situation that I'm not gonna be broke on the street begging with a cardboard sign trying to make money. Yeah, I'm gonna find a way to take care of myself, but also to shift the situation And I'm not going to stop shifting that until I'm happy. And maybe that takes a couple years. But if I do nothing, I'll continue to be unhappy like I am already. Yeah? It's not worth it, I tell you. It's not. And it takes a while, and it's step by step by step. But there's always the next step. If you really look at the path, so when you climb, I'm like a hiker. I climb. I do rock climbing. I've been in the Himalayas. I've done, like, really big hikes. I've been up to 6,000 meters, which is... Anybody? Anybody? 18,000 feet, yeah. Couldn't breathe, like super high. Ridiculous, yeah. Yeah, the way that I got there was one step at a time. You know, I don't know how the heck I'm going to get up there, but I know where the next step is right now. And this is the way that I personally live my life as well. You kind of know the direction you're headed, but all that you can ultimately do is here's the next step. You can kind of look ahead, you can say, okay, I should kind of maybe go more to the right than to the left. But ultimately, you only know the next step, but you can always make the next step, yeah? And we overwhelm ourselves. We overwhelm ourselves if we try to do too much at once or if we try to do everything at once. Yeah, I was in Germany. There's this amazing children's book called Momo, and it's by the writers of The Never-Ending Story. So you guys know The Never-Ending Story? You guys remember Falkor the big dragon? Um, So it's called Momo, it's by the same guy, and and there was this girl, and she just kind of appeared one day in this, uh, in the forest, in this kind of big stone amphitheater, and she's like an orphan, and she just lived there, and people would come, and they'd be like, what are you doing here, and she'd just be like, I don't know, I'm just here, and they'd start talking to her, and she would just be like looking at them, and kind of nodding and listening, and then suddenly people would just start talking to her, and just telling her like their whole life story. And it turns out she's just like this amazing listener. So she would just sit there and like listen and people would just talk and everyone started coming to the amphitheater just to be like listened to, to talk to her. And one of the guys that came who became one of her best friends, his name was Beppo, the street sweeper. So he was was sweeping the streets in the town. And there's this one really amazing line in the book where he says, he's like, you know, Momo, you know, when you're sweeping the street, never look at the whole street. No, never do that. That's too much. Only look at the next part that you're sweeping. And then you sweep, you take a breath, you take a step, you sweep, you take a breath, you take a step. And before you know it, Momo, you'll turn around and you've done the whole street. Yeah? And this was like amazing like Zen master advice in this like little like German children's book, right? Because that's the key to life that's the key to life you know you're sweeping the street you know that's where you're going you know you know that I'm gonna I need to make money and to be successful I need to do this that's the street that I'm walking down just taking care of supporting myself but right now what is the next thing to do what is just this next one step don't okay I know that's where I'm going but right now okay first step. I'm unhappy okay why well, I'm unhappy oh this job okay what does that mean do I have to let this go okay I have to let that go but what does that mean that I don't have any money okay so I need money so what can I do to make money Well, let's see, like there's jobs there. Are there any people in my life I could talk to? Can I put it out? What other could I start a new project? Could this become something else? Could I find a way to give this up that other people could do it, but I still get money? What is the way that this could work? And you just slowly start piecing it together one step at a time. And I'm saying this also like as an independent contractor, right? Which I am right now. So you know, you go somewhere, you offer something, they say, no, go somewhere else. No, go somewhere else, yes. Oh, okay. You know. And then you slowly make headway, you slowly, piece by piece, find your direction, and then it becomes a path. And before you know it, suddenly you're there and you're supporting yourself again. And you're like, oh, actually, I had nothing to fear but fear itself. There was nothing actually that happened except the unknown. Yeah. But security becomes a prison. And everybody wants freedom. Everybody talks about freedom. But if I want my hands to be free, I have to let go of what's in my hands, right? If you want freedom, you have to let go. So everyone's deepest wish is freedom, but everybody's greatest fear is to let go. And that's the paradox. Yeah, to get the thing that we really deeply want, we have to do the thing that we're the most afraid of. And you'll start to learn in your life as you face fears and you go through them, you'll see that your greatest strengths your greatest loves, the things that are the most rich and meaningful, lay on the other side of your fear. Lay through the fear, going through, doing the thing that you're afraid of and still just doing it and doing it and doing it. And then you expand into a whole new area that you never even knew about. So for the meditation tonight, we have about 25 minutes so i kind of think that we'll do a 25 minute meditation so i'll guide you into it so i'll walk you through it in stages i'll walk you down so also so like you guys know for yourselves also like how to meditate and how to go into that so i'll walk you through that and then i'll kind of let us just sit and and stew you know and kind of marinate in that silence and that space a little bit um, And then it's also just really nice to remember that at the end of the day, peace happens when you just let go, right? Meditation, the peace of meditation, it's because you've just dropped everything and you've allowed peace to arise, right? Peace isn't a new thing to get. Peace is what happens when you've let everything else go and then peace is what remains, okay? So we're going to use the rest of the class just to practice letting go, letting things be. Letting things settle, and then letting the piece come all by itself. Okay? So get into a position that feels comfortable and stable, that you could sit for a little bit without having to move much.